Well, hello there, everybody, as we are back with another edition of the Extra Rounds podcast on Fansided MMA and Sports Illustrated MMA. And we're going to start the show in just a minute, but before we do that, this episode of the Extra Rounds podcast is being brought to you by TestStrips.com. That's TestStrips with the Z, ladies and gentlemen, .com. Managing diabetes is your business. Making it affordable is theirs. You can sell your extra unused diabetes supplies for up to $50 per box and support a worthy cause that causes the fight against diabetes. Why would you have extra diabetes supplies to sell? Maybe you've switched brands of testing supplies. Maybe the accumulation and overstock of supplies over time. Maybe the unfortunate news of a relative or a significant other passing away. Whatever that is, you could turn those extra unused supplies into cash. At teststrips.com, they'll buy all major brands of glucose test strips and lancets, including AccuCheck, Bayer, Freestyle, and OneTouch. And they offer a simple-to-use, fully automated platform where individuals can submit sales orders and request prepaid shipping labels to ship your items. Once the package is received, they will send payment within 24 hours via business check or PayPal. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? They will then take those supplies. They will resell them online at significantly reduced prices, sometimes up to 80 to 90% off pharmacy prices. They do that because... They don't want these supplies to go to waste or expire, and they want to create a more affordable market for those who are not covered by insurance. What a company this is. You can learn more by going to teststrips.com, teststripswiththez.com, or calling 855-STRIPS with the Z1. That's 855-STRIPS1. Teststrips.com, Better Business Bureau accredited, A-plus rating for over five years. They are affiliated with the American Diabetes Association. They support the Wounded Warrior Project, and they have partnered up with one of the biggest sports radio stations in the country, 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston. Test strips with a Z.com. Sell your extra unused diabetes supplies for up to $50 per box and support a worthy cause and support a just a fantastic company. Now, let us start the show. Fan-sided MMA and Sports Illustrated MMA present the Extra Rounds Podcast. Yes, exactly. Let's go get them. Huh? We're going to shake things up. Now, here is your host, Mike Hack. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Extra Rounds Podcast on Fansided MMA and Sports Illustrated MMA. My name is Mike Heck. I am your host, broadcasting from our studios here in beautiful Berkshire County, Massachusetts. A lot has happened since we last spoke. We'll talk about why we didn't have a show last week in just a moment, but that won't happen again anytime soon, I can tell you that. Before we get started, a couple of things I need you to do. First of all, I want you to subscribe to the Fansided MMA YouTube channel because we were at UFC 228. We got a lot of fantastic coverage. And if you didn't subscribe to the page, you missed out on all of it. And I will pretty much guarantee you we will have boots on the ground for UFC 229 when Conor McGregor fights Habib Nurmagomedov. So make sure you subscribe to that page. It is taken off. It is great stuff. So go to YouTube and search Fansided MMA. Subscribe and make that happen, all right? Thanks for having us on. Thanks for rate, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, leaving five-star ratings, kind words, much appreciated. And UFC 228 is in the books. Tyron Woodley is still the UFC welterweight champion. Jessica Andrade, a phenomenal performance. There are a lot of fantastic performances. Talk about a card that... Got some love, probably not enough going into it, and really over-delivered in a big way. Of course, the ratings didn't show that, and it's unfortunate, but the card was absolutely fantastic. And 
we're going to talk a lot about UFC 228 on this episode of the show. So let us run down the lineup. Later on, we're going to talk to your boy, Eric Anders. Of course, he had a big win a few weeks back in Lincoln, Nebraska, over Tim Williams, one of the best knockouts of the year. And of course, his name has come up quite a bit as of late. He calls out Elias Theodora after the big win. Elias Theodora had a fight booked with Antonio Carlos Jr. That fight has been moved to December 8th, and they were supposed to fight in Sao Paulo. And really what happened was September 22nd, that fight was going to go down. Antonio Carlos Jr. gets injured, would not be able to fight on September 22nd. So according to Elias Theodoro, they wanted Eric Anders. Eric Anders basically said no to the fight. And Elias talked to our own Nicole Bosco here at Fansided and basically said it was a weight issue or a weight cut issue. So we're going to talk to Eric Anders and get his side of the story, talk about his big win in Lincoln and kind of see where he's coming from from that whole situation because this is the first time I've really ever seen Eric Anders, you know, kind of called out or, you know, put in this position before. So I'm interested to see what he has to say. Before that, we're going to talk to the reigning Bellator lightweight champion, Brent Primus. Of course, him and Michael Chandler have been going back and forth. Will this fight happen? The rematch? Will it happen? Is it not going to happen? Is Michael Chandler going to wait for maybe Eddie Alvarez to come? We'll talk to Brent Primus and try to get a little more clarity on that situation. And from what I'm hearing, I feel like this fight is is closer to happening than you know we thought maybe a few days back. So we'll interested to see what Brent Primus has to say. He looks to make his... Returned to the cage for the first time since winning the title at Bellator NYC last June. Speaking of UFC 228, we'll talk to Aljamain Sterling coming off his big win over Cody Stamen at UFC 228 with that fantastic submission. He looked phenomenal, and it really looks like Aljamain Sterling has has turned that corner, and he's going to be a big presence at the top of that UFC Bantamweight division. And speaking more about that big event over the weekend, in Dallas, fan-sided and Sports Illustrated MMA had some boots on the ground capturing a lot of the comings and goings of that event. So let us go the full five with Matthew Wells. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, joining us for the first time on Extra Rounds to recap and put a bow on UFC 228 is Matthew Wells, who is there representing and is the co-host of the Slip and Dip podcast, along with doing some great work for Fanside. And when he can, he's a busy guy. How are you, my man? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. UFC 228 was amazing. Glad to uh, represent Fanside at the event. And uh, yeah, man, we got to witness some incredible fights that night. Absolutely. It was awesome. Yeah, and this is the first time, which I found kind of puzzling thinking about this conversation, this is actually the first time outside of our Slack channel that we have actually chatted, so I'm glad to have you here on the show. <laughs> so so let's start here. You kind of touched on it. The event delivered in a big way. I mean, there was some chatter and buzz heading into the event, but not a ton, and this car really exceeded expectations. What were your thoughts on the whole week, the buildup, and all the craziness that was UFC 228 in Dallas? Yeah, that was kind of crazy to me, man, because when I saw this card on paper leading up to it, I knew that there were going to be bangers throughout even though it didn't have that huge buzz that you know like a you know an upcoming conor mcgregor card might have or something like that but i knew that there was going to be a lot of action um i was familiar with a lot of the guys on the card and knew that they delivered fight enders you know and that's that's what we got we got a lot of fight enders and spectacular fight enders so it was amazing and uh, like the the fight the fight week lead up kind of got marred a little bit you know with the whole valentina shevchenko nika montano thing but 
other than that, man, I was still excited for a great night of fights, and that's exactly what we got. I know I'm not alone on this, but I was starting, as we were getting closer to the to the, to the fight card itself, I was starting to get that UFC 220 feeling heading into the main event with Tyron Woodley and Darren Till. I mean, there were a lot of similarities between that fight and the Miocic and Ganu fight with the challenger seemingly getting all of the hype, a lot of the promotional yes. push. But I remember covering UFC 220 in Boston. I did a little survey in the city before the card around the area, going to different bars and restaurants, and it was pretty much 50-50 amongst the fans on who they thought would win the main event, which I found really interesting considering there were so many people that wanted to see Nganu fight in the Boston area. I mean, just talking to different people. What were you hearing and seeing in Dallas in regards to how the fans were looking at that fight between Woodley and Till? Well, so most of the week leading up to it, I was spending um, a lot of time around a lot of people that flew overseas to uh, watch their boy Darren Till go to work. So they were a little biased in that regard. When I talked to more of the people from stateside, they were they were on the Tyron Woodley side. They, you know, they, they felt the experience and being in, on that stage many times before would, would help him prevail. But, you know, all the, all the hometown, guy, hometown guys for uh, Darren Till thought that he was going to go out there and get it done and, and sleep him early, which was something I did not agree with whatsoever. But it was just fascinating to see both sides of it kind of play out. But uh, I guess overall, it was kind of like a kind of like a 50-50 feel. I didn't have, you know, an overwhelming majority going for one guy. How about Tyron Woodley, man? I mean, what a performance from him. He just goes out and, and just starches Darren Till. You're in the building. Talk about Woodley's performance on Saturday and what you saw from the champ. Yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing, man. From the from the moment, like the walkout was fantastic. Both of the guys' walkouts were amazing. The crowd was on ten. You know, they they were they were incredible and uh they were that way throughout the most of the night but by the time the main event came you know after all those exciting moments before that they were really really excited for that and man tyron came out there with a different look that we haven't seen in uh i'd say the previous i don't know three or four fights maybe we haven't seen that look from him since the robbie lawler fight you know he seemed a little bit more loose he seemed a little bit more you know, not so uptight and worried about what he was about to walk into. It just seemed like he had more confidence and more swagger to him. And we saw that, you know, immediately in the first round. He comes out a lot more looser, initiates a takedown attempt within the first 30 seconds. And I was like, yeah, this is a different tyrant we're seeing, to, we're seeing tonight. You know, he wasn't, wasn't tentative, wasn't worried about, you know, a, a takedown from a Damian Meyer or a head kick from Steven Thompson. I really think he felt like he could control any aspect of the fight, and he took it wherever he wanted to do that. And uh, of course, we saw, you know, how the how the second round played out with that that overhand right off the counter from the uh, lead uppercut, which is uh, something I asked him about after the fight at the press conference. I asked him, you know, did you guys see that a lot in um, as an opening? And he was like, well. I did watch the countdown show and I did notice he did throw a lot of lead uppercuts. So, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where it, those, uh, those little pre-fight video things can kind of give things away one time. And I guess that was the case there in the main event. Yeah. His preparation is amazing. And you talk about like his mentality going into it. And I think a lot of people, especially in the media side of things saying, you know, Tyron Woodley needs to make a statement. And, and the way I looked at Tyron Woodley, the look on his face was, I'm going to make a statement. Like, he just had that look in his eyes. Because I feel like the UFC has really dropped the ball on him. I mean, Dana White made the media rounds on Friday, and he basically said that Woodley has shot himself in the foot. It's essentially his fault that fans haven't really gravitated towards him. But then he goes out and has the performance he has, and then there's no Dana White afterwards. Like, 
I mean, I just don't understand that. And I think the UFC took a big risk here. And it actually, you know, probably without even knowing that they that they did it, they had a win-win situation on their hands because having Woodley winning the way he did as dominantly as he did, it was the biggest win of all because now a fight between Woodley and Colby Covington has gotten even bigger now. Like, what, what do you make of the quote-unquote promotion of Tyron Woodley before and even after the fight? Yeah, beforehand, I mean, you know, him and Dana have had their differences before, and I think that definitely shows in the uh, pre-fight buildup and the promotion of him. He does a lot of things on his own. You know, he goes out there and promotes himself. He he got himself th- these movie roles. He got himself this TMZ show. You know, he does his own Champ Camp series on YouTube, which is amazing. He does a lot of things on his own to make sure that people hear his name and think about his name. And, you know, he always out, he's always out there. His tagline is, you know, I'm the greatest welterweight of all time. And he repeats that over and over and over. And um, he's the one really driving home the narrative that, you know, he, he, he deserves to be talked about. The UFC doesn't seem to be pushing that, that for him. So he has to do the bulk of this stuff. And I don't know if that stems from that relationship with Dana White, because like I said, they, they've had their differences in the past and, uh, you know, you, you touched on it there, him not being at the post-fight press conference. We see Dana at every pay-per-view. After every pay-per-view, he shows up to the post-fight press conference and, you know, gives five, ten minutes of his time. I have a hard time believing that if Darren Till won, that he wouldn't have made some concessions to be there. I was told officially that he had a plane to catch because he had some travel to, to, uh, to do, but... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying that that was a lie or anything, but I have a hard time believing that he wouldn't have made it made some time to be there had Darren Till got his hand raised. And the same thing happened at UFC 220 as well, because you know Stipe had the performance he had. He took the belt from Dana's hands, gave it to his coach to wrap around his waist, and then we didn't see Dana wait at the post fight after that either. So maybe there are yeah. even more similarities there. But you know, kind of on the on the flip side of things, Darren Till. You know, obviously didn't go his way. And the biggest question heading into UFC 228 was, would he even make it to the fight? Would he make weight? And he certainly did. He made the weight. He did a lot to, in my opinion, to make the fight feel bigger. And when he lost, I thought he took it like a, like an absolute champion. Did the interviews, did the media, and really represented himself well. Were you surprised with how the Dallas fans took to him? Or, I mean, obviously there were people flying in from overseas, checking him out to see if he could make some history. But Or do you think it was sort of the effects of the Woodley stuff we just talked about? Um, I wasn't really surprised, you know, I mean, Darren Till, like he's a, he's a, um, he seems like a straightforward guy, you know, he's not like a Colby Covington out there. Like he, <laughs> he'll talk trash, but you know, he, he believes it. And it's like, you really feel his confidence whenever he speaks about, you know, himself and his abilities inside the octagon. And I think he comes off as genuine. I think he comes off as confident and people really gravitate towards that. And of course him being a guy that represents Liverpool, you know, that's a that's another angle that people can kind of gravitate towards as well. And like you mentioned, all the people that flew in, you know, the crowd was loud. They were cheering for him as soon as he stepped in the octagon. Oh, my goodness. It was super loud. And as soon as the lights went dark, you heard a chorus of boos until we actually saw Tyron Woodley walking in. Then you heard some cheers kind of mixed in. But, yeah, I wasn't too surprised, man. It was it was really cool to see it, you know, because, you know, by the end of the night, both guys got a lot of love. And I think Darren Till is going to grow from this loss. I mean, he is 11 years younger than Tyron Woodley. So what what, what is Darren Till going to be like 11 years from now if he stays on the same path, the same progression that he's shown so far? Will the next time we see him be at 170 pounds, in your opinion? Oh, man, I asked that question to him multiple times throughout the week. <laughs> <laughs> and um 
yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we'll see him at 170 anymore. I really don't, um, because he was he was really tentative. You know, I asked him at media day. I was like, so if no matter what happens on Saturday night, are you going to fight at 170 again? And he straight up told me he was like, this time next year for sure I will be at 185, whether I get one more fight in at 170 or not. So. You know, I, I don't see why he would fight at 170 again. There's really no reason to. You know, he's not going to get another crack at the title right away. You know, he was it was kind of a stretch for some people that he was even fighting Tyron Woodley in the first place. So for him to stay at 170 makes zero sense whatsoever. So you might as well go ahead, move up to 185, get acclimated to that weight class, go ahead and, you know, in training, not worry about your diet so much, and, and get used to that weight class that you say – a year from now, you're going to be at anyways. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I'm sure we're not alone here. Uh, the other really big story we talked, we touched on a little bit, Nika Montano has has trouble with her weight cut. She's hospitalized, some kidney failure, pulled from her title fight with Valentina Shevchenko, and ultimately she's stripped to the belt. Now, we have heard from both ladies on the situation. We've heard from Dana White on the situation. But being in Dallas, as this is all going down, what was your reaction to Montano getting stripped in maybe the most nonchalant way in the history of the UFC? Almost as if the media and everyone else <laughs> should have expected it to happen. Yeah, that was the thing, man. It was it was weird because if we listened to Valentina all week, she was never really believing the fight was going to happen. And that's kind of odd for a, a title challenger to, to say, you know, she should be... A, talking trash to, you know, maybe entice your, the champion to show up more. But it was weird how it all played out because once it was announced, you know, on the weigh-in day that, um, that Nico wasn't going to weigh in, I walked into weigh-ins about 15 minutes beforehand, and I sit down next to Jim Edwards, and uh, he goes, hey, Nico's not fighting. And I thought he was joking because he said it just so nonchalantly. I was like, ha, 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 shut up as I'm opening my laptop. He's like, no, man, serious. I was like, what? I was like, you're kidding me. You know, after all this stuff, after Valentina saying this stuff all week, she kind of spoke it into existence, right? And um, unfortunately, it didn't happen. And we got it to do a scrum with Valentina after the ceremonial weigh-ins. The thing with that was, while Valentina's giving us, you know, the, the lowly regular MMA media uh, <laughs> a scrum, Dana's over there with TV partners telling them that, she just, that he just stripped Nico. So we didn't get to get that, you know, instant reaction from Valentina about that. But, you know, it was kind of a little whirlwind of things going on for us. And Nico seemed to just kind of take it all in stride. And the thing that kind of, it kind of sucks for her is that a lot of people started believing the, uh, the narrative that Valentina was putting out there that she was scared and that she never really wanted to take the fight. Listen, people. There is not a single fighter on anybody's roster that is going to put themselves to an entire training camp, fly all the way out to Dallas, do all the weight cutting, like as much weight cutting as she did, just to not show up on fight night. That's just not the case. You're not going to do all that to not get paid just to you know show up and put your face in front of the camera for a few people. That's just not the case. She, her body shut down on her. I believe her 100% when she says that. And she was kind of in a, uh, a bad spot because she was told if she wasn't going to take the fight at UFC 228, she was probably going to be stripped anyway. So she was really in a bad spot, and uh, it's kind of unfortunate for her. What can she do to move forward here? I mean, there are, there are a lot of people comparing her to Jermaine Durandamy, and we've seen you know <laughs> what that whole situation did to Jermaine's career and how people view her now. 
What can Nico Montano do to kind of move forward from here and kind of erase that narrative? Yeah, the only thing you can do is show up the next time you get scheduled, right? That's really the only thing you can do. Um, you know, I made the observation as well. If you go back and watch the Embedded series for that week, every time you saw Nico Montano on Embedded for UFC 228, she was doing some form of recovery. I think the only intense training that you saw her doing was yoga. Whereas Valentina's over there hitting pads. She's doing work. She's in the sauna. You know, she's doing everything. And I was like, this, I mean, there may be some legs here that she may be hurt and maybe having, having struggles, you know, to get to her weight cut. But, I mean, she did show up heavy for fight week. And that was kind of a concern as well. But next time she gets a fight scheduled, man, she's, she just has to show up. If you show up, weigh in and make it to the cage and perform, Okay, then you then you'll get people's respect back. And I'm not saying that she should have lost respect anyways, because again, she was in a very, you know, she was in a predicament, and unfortunately didn't go her way. And uh, whenever that next opportunity that she gets is, you know, she just has to show up and perform and get her hand raised. On the other side of the coin, you got Valentina Shevchenko. And you got the now vacant UFC Women's Flyweight Title. I mean, there's only one answer here. You do Shevchenko, Yanni, and Jacek, right? There's no other options. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's the fight to make, man. There's, there's no better storyline already built in. They, they, those two have met in, in, uh, in the past. You know, not in MMA, but yeah, there's no other fight to make. I mean, sure, you can say you know, Johanna may be a little bit undersized for her. Um, you know, in the grappling department and whatever, but. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the fight to make. That's the easiest sellable fight. I don't know if Johanna would be ready for the New York card, but I can think of no better fight to make for that New York card. I'd be down yeah, for that. Yeah, that would be, be the way to go. Absolutely. The women's Shroway division was on display on Saturday night. Tatiana Suarez, incredible performance. Jessica Andrade showing off her huge power, finishing Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Where do we go from here, Matthew? Do we do Andrade Rose? Do we do Suarez Rose? Do we do Andrade Suarez? I mean, there's tons of options at 115. Where are we going here? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. After uh, Tatiana got done with her fight, I was like, oh, man, she just made an incredibly strong case to to kind of jump the queue there. But then... Andrade did what she did, and there's no question you have to do Andrade Rose after going out there and absolutely flattening Carolina like that. There's, I mean, that's an undeniable performance. She deserves that title shot, and I hope she gets it next. But uh, Tatiana, man, she looked amazing and absolutely dominating Carla Esparza like that in the wrestling game. Jeez, you know, like <laughs> she like she said after the fact, call me Tabib, because everybody was like, you know. Comparing her to Khabib, and uh, yeah, incredible performance, man. Everybody, everybody that I was around, we we're just like, man, that's. We expected her to go out there and win, but when you go out there and do it like that, yeah, that's next level stuff. I feel like the women's strawweight division is just awesome. Like it never lets you down ever. Where do you rank that division in terms of excitement for the UFC? Oh, it's the UFC men's uh, 155 division in strawweights, and then that's <laughs> whatever you want to say after that. I, I, I mean, that's up for debate, but it's, those are one A and one B for me, you know, depending on the week. It's just, they're, like you said, man, they deliver time and time again, whether it be some slick submission or just incredible hard fought decisions, man. And then you get knockouts like that too now. It's, it's so it's so exciting to watch. There's never a dull moment, really, at 115. we got a few more minutes here. There were some other great performances on Saturday. Of course, Aljamain Sterling is going to join us in a few minutes. We had Zabid and Al-Assad and Jeff Neal, Darren Stewart. Like we said, this thing really delivered from top to bottom. 
In your opinion, whose stock rose the most, in your opinion, from those options or maybe someone I didn't mention there? Oh, man. Um, I think the, if you're talking about stock rising, I would say just the uh, the Fortis MMA gym as a whole. They had three fighters on the card. They went two and one. Um, even in that loss, Charles Bird looked pretty good for the moments that he was having, but you know he got tagged and fortunately got finished. But Jeff Neal, that knockout, that head kick knockout, <laughs> man, the Frank Camacho was just oh, so sick. Like, like when you listen to the commentary, like Rogan and DC can't say anything. They're just like, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Like, you know, like that, that just lets you know, you just witnessed a hell of a knockout. Right. And then of course for a Zach Alhassan to go out there and then do the same thing. Like it's those guys, man, there's something special going on at Fortis. And if you haven't started paying attention to these guys, you really need to because you got the guys in the UFC. You got the guys coming up through the contender series. It's a hell of a gym, and of course, Coach Safe over there really building these guys up with some extreme confidence. Um, and like you said, also Aljamain Sterling, man, Aljamain and Zabit getting the same submission. <laughs> oh my goodness, craziness, man! Just full of madness all like throughout the night. And I don't know if you saw the clip for the uh, thrill and agony, but uh, Aljamain was in the back. After he saw Zabit do it, do the same submission, and he he walked up to Mark Henry. He was like, "What is going on? What is going on?" <laughs> so funny, so funny, man. It was, a, it was a great night, top to bottom. So many performances, so many people deserved a bonus, and it sucks that only you know you can only, they only hand out you know four checks total, but. Man, so many people deserve bonuses that night. Absolutely. A couple more things we wrap up here. UFC is in Moscow this weekend. Anything on that card getting you excited? Is this one you're going to set the old alarm clock for or what? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if it's appointment television, but, <laughs> hey, anytime Mark Hunt is in the, in the cage, I'm going to check it out for sure. So, I mean, hey, first trip to first trip to, to Moscow for the UFC. I'm sure the atmosphere will be – I don't know. I don't know what, the, what I'm expecting from the atmosphere, but, hey, it's a new city – it's a new country. You know, we'll see how it plays out. And like I said, Mark Hunt, for me, Mark Hunt is always must-see TV. Looks like Connor and Habib will do a press conference in New York next Thursday, open to the media, not open to the fans. What do you make of the promotion thus far? Because it looks to me like the UFC is just banking on these two guys being who they are, just being enough here. They're banking on that, and then they're banking on that bus footage as well. They're banking on that to sell the fight, and I mean, really – you can't have much other crazy press conference moment than when you have something that organic to sell a fight. When a guy literally throws a dolly at a bus, completely unexpected. Um, as disgusting as the moment that was, I mean, they, they, they made the decision to use that as promo footage. And the fact that they're having this press conference close to the public is a little strange to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're expecting those personalities to carry over and then that that unfortunate moment there in Brooklyn. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I'm sure it will still sell just fine at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Finally, we still got that glaring TBD versus TBD hole at the top of the MSG card in November. So, putting on the spot here, sir, what is going to headline UFC 230 in New York? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. I I would expect uh, one John Jones to make an appearance there against who I don't know. Um, But... That would be my best guess right now, unless they can figure out a way to get DC in there against someone. 
I hope they do Woodley Covington. I mean, let's just build on this Woodley momentum right now. I mean, just coming off that performance. I know he had a, an issue with the hand. We're not sure how serious it is. Woodley thinks he'll be ready to go. And, I mean, at this point, bring Woodley in as the, the ultimate white meat baby face against the, the evil villain that is Colby Covington. Woodley will be yes. beloved. You can push him in that way for, like, the first time in his career. I mean, I, I think that's a no-brainer. But, obviously, if you can get John Jones in there, you, you do that and you just kind of push those other guys off to the back to, to the back burner. But, Joined by Matthew Wells, everybody. Thanks for jumping on, man. Before we get out of here, let the people know where to find and follow you and where to check out the Slip and Dip podcast. I'm seeing that thing trending all over social media. I got to listen to the episode with James Lynch. I'm going to be listening more, I promise, but let everyone know where to find it. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, check me out on Twitter at Mr. M. Wells Art. I'm on Twitter more than any other place. I'm on Instagram as well. And, of course, the Slip and Dip podcast, you can find that on iTunes and Spreaker. And, of course, we do our video side on YouTube as well. So please go there and subscribe. Uh, it's me and my co-host Kendrick Johnson. We have anywhere from two to four people in the uh, combat sports world on every episode, whether it be a fighter, personality, fellow journalists, um, trainers, whatever have you, whoever we can get on to talk to and rap about this, uh, this crazy game that we cover, we do week in and week out. And uh, it's always a fun time. So uh, that's where you can find me and uh, hit me up. All right, thanks again, Matt. We'll chat soon. Appreciate the time, man. Yes, always. No problem, man. Thank you. All right, there he is, Matthew Wells, representing fan-sided Sports Illustrated MMA, on-site at UFC 228 over the weekend, and great insight from him as we put a bow on just a fantastic event. And coming up next, we're going to be joined by one of the victors from UFC 228 in Dallas, Aljamain Sterling, the funk master himself, will join us to talk about his big victory over Cody Stamen over the weekend on the Extra Rounds podcast. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Joining us right now, coming off his big submission victory over a very tough up-and-comer in Cody Stamen at UFC 228 in Dallas over the weekend. He is rolling and ascending back up the 135-pound ladder. He's a guy I had on my old show a number of times, and I am happy to welcome for the very first time to the newly relaunched Extra Rounds podcast, the funk master himself, Aljamain Sterling. Aljo, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. I'm you know, still on cloud nine and uh, <laughs> just hanging out, enjoying the, the, the little bit of time off. There you go. And congratulations on the big win, Aljamain, and thank you for doing this. I saw yesterday on Twitter that you spent some extra time in Dallas following the big win, and I'm pretty familiar with that area, and I'm sure that after training and cutting weight and fighting, you probably want to, as we say in Massachusetts, smash some food, and Dallas is a great hub for food smashing. Did you partake in the culinary greatness that is Dallas during your extended stay? Oh, yeah, for sure. The The one thing that kind of sucked, though, was uh, just being extra tired from – just the adrenaline dump. It almost feels like that adrenaline dump maybe lasts like a week or something. I don't know. It's weird, man. Like after the fight, like you're on a high and then it just all comes crashing down and all I want to do is lay in bed and eat food. Did you get to check out some other cool spots? Did you have enough energy to, to, to really check out the area at all? Uh, not so much. I did get some good food though. I uh, went downtown once. Um, we hopped around a little bit, but then we went back within like an hour and a half. So we didn't get to spend too much time. We spent more time sitting watching Ray Donovan and uh, <laughs> stuffing our face with with uh, leftovers <laughs> and some chocolates. 
Excellent. So let's talk about the buildup to this thing because the two of you, you and Cody, you went back and forth a little bit before this fight became official. And I spoke to Stamen a couple weeks before the fight, and he was definitely, and admittedly so, a little bit more vocal heading into this fight. I mean, he thought the fight between you and Brett Johns was actually how he said it was a, was a gift fight for you. It was the best possible matchup for you and the worst possible matchup for him. And obviously, you were able to prove him wrong in a lot of ways. But were you seeing some of the things he was saying, some of the trash talk coming from him in, heading into that fight on Saturday? Oh yeah, I seen just about all of it. <laughs> it was the funniest thing though, because I just I couldn't make sense out of everything he was saying. Some stuff it had some truth to it, and the other stuff I was just like, bro, you're either just like really delusional, or you just got this brand new skill set that I just have not seen, and the world has not seen as of yet, and it's like the best kept secret or something. I don't know. It was weird. One of the things that, that has stuck out to me during some of our past conversations that you were looking to to get back to the old school Aljamain Sterling. You were focusing on being a little more aggressive, a lot of output, activity, and really pushing the pace as opposed to listening to the fans and the naysayers. And in my view, I think you found this sort of middle ground between that old school style while making the fans recognize how good and how talented you really are. I mean, do you agree with that? Do you feel like you've kind of turned the corner this year with how the fans are viewing you in your fighting style? Yeah, I do think so. I think um, before it was just a comfortability thing with wanting to sit in the pocket where I would use a lot of lateral movement earlier in my career just to get guys frustrated and when they over and use kicks to keep them away, push kicks. And when they got too overly aggressive, I would just take them down because it would allow me to hit a reactive takedown or a reactive clinch. And that's when I'd be able to slow the fight down and eventually drag them down to the mat. I guess people didn't really like that too much, but now I'm a lot more comfortable with sitting in the pocket and trading with those little four-ounce gloves and slipping, weaving, and uh, firing back a few before I look for my, you know, the means to the ends, which is ultimately getting the fight to the ground with my takedowns. You looked incredibly relaxed in the octagon on Saturday, and it seems like you were one step ahead of Cody from from the very beginning of that fight. Did he do anything in that fight that surprised you at all? Ah, uh, <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> be completely honest here, I'm going to say no. I mean, everything he did on tape in his previous fights was pretty much everything he did in the fight. Um, and I had an answer for everything. I mean, it was pretty traditional in his skill set. Um, even if he were to come with, like, some spinning kicks or anything like that, you know, I would have been able to see all that stuff. There was nothing... At the end of the day, we have two hands, we have two two legs. So there's, there's not much tricks that you could do in this sport. It's just a matter of being comfortable when people are doing it and having that exposure in the training room. So uh, I got a madman in Marab Devashili who I train with on a regular basis and for sparring, it's always a three-round war, always. So you can ask anybody in the gym, he is a savage. And to have a guy like that, I know no one's going to be able to push a pace the way he does. And there's no one's going to be throwing as crazy bombs and heat at me the way he does. So I'm uh, I'm pretty comfortable in my skill set and, and the looks that I'm getting in training. People are still talking about that submission even today. It was certainly a, a funky submission. It was slick. And, and to have people still talk about a finish in today's UFC four days later, especially with another card coming up on Saturday, other ones following, that's a tough thing to see these days. It doesn't happen that often. But you're also a human being at the end of the day. What was going through your head when the ref stepped in and officially called it? Like, What, what was going through your mind after the fight was over? Um, I mean, 
I was like, shit, man, I'm back. I got to finish. I haven't had a finish since uh, 2015 in the summer, man, against Johnny Eduardo. Such a long time, you know. And uh, I was winning big fights. I was beating guys. One, you know, pretty decisively, Augusto Mendez, Hennebrough, um, Brett Johnson. But I was getting positions where I normally would put guys away, and I wasn't putting them away for whatever the case may be. Maybe it was a mental block that I just wasn't fully committing. Um, this one, I just kind of was like, yeah, I'm so glad I just let it all go. And wherever the fight went, I was comfortable wherever the fight went. And mentally, I was like, let's not even worry about where, like, what happens. If you if you go for a takedown, you miss, and you end up on your back, great. If you if you you know just you know what to do here. You've been in all these positions in the training room. Just let it go, have fun, and uh, that was that was the main thing, man. I, I I let my game go. I can fight anywhere. I can fight in a clinch. I can fight in space. I can fight close. I can fight uh, on the ground, top, bottom. It really doesn't matter, and uh, that's just the confidence from uh, the training room. Was there was there a part of you that you know? Because obviously you're back, you got the finish and everything. But at the same time, like, like we talked about, you're a human being. You, you obviously hurt him pretty badly. There was there a part of that, you know, because you hurt him so badly, and because of how nasty that submission was, you kind of felt bad, and it kind of took away from it a little bit. Uh I don't want to say no, and I and I don't want to say I don't know if I want to say. I mean, it was. I didn't know how bad he was hurt. You know, I don't know if it's torn. I don't know. You know, I'm not a doctor. I know I've, I've popped both my LCLs before in wrestling and in positions like that where I fell to the side and got my ankle wrenched and and, uh, and my knee got pushed, pushed in the opposite direction. So I know what that felt like. And I was out for two, two weeks and then I was out for three weeks with the other one. So I wasn't sure how serious it was, but, you know, I, I've been doing some of the interviews and Obviously, the main thing is we fight. We fight. We make money. And I would hate for the guy to have to need surgery to repair a, a torn ligament. So that, in, in that regards, I'm, I definitely was concerned about that. But in terms of him just being in pain, I'm like, man, we, we know what we signed up for. I got my lights put out. Um, I've had multiple injuries, multiple surgeries. It, it's all part of the sport. But, uh, you know, for me to say I felt bad – it's kind of like, well, if you feel bad about every single thing that you do, it's like you should feel bad for punching the person in the face. It's just, it's just it, it wouldn't make any sense. I don't really think that that really has a place in a sport like this. If you, uh, if I'm, I guess, uh, communicating that the right way. No, it makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense. I'm not a fighter, so it's kind of interesting to kind of get the different aspects of everything. When Demetrius Johnson did that belly to back suplex to armbar submission of Ray Borg. He had a name for that thing right away. He had the mighty whiz bar locked and loaded for the name of that submission. Do you have a name for your submission? Like, do you, do you have a name for that? Like something you could put on a t-shirt or something you can make some money off of? Beware of the insert name here. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I call it the funk strudel. If you, <laughs> <laughs> because if you avoid the, if you avoid the knee bar, you, you're going to blow out your own knee. So we call that, we call, call that the funk strudel. You, your leg is going to end up like noodles. <laughs> I'm not sure, and you probably didn't have the chance to talk to Cody after the fight. I mean, he was he was hurt, and it was some pretty nasty stuff. And I haven't heard anything as far as what that injury could be, and I don't think you have as well. But you know, he's obviously very tough. He's skillful. He's won ten in a row heading into that fight, which is a nice feather in your cap to halt that streak. But you know, if he was in front of you right now after sharing the cage with him, what would you say to him? Uh, I told him he'd be back. Good, you know, it was a good fight. Um, we, it was a little back and forth in that first round, albeit he wasn't really landing like the strikes in the open, but in the, in the grappling exchanges, he showed like, uh, he could compete a bit. Um, and I, and I knew that going in, he's a, he's a competitor, he's a wrestler 
And I know once you're a wrestler, you have that competitive mindset. And neither one of us wants to get taken down by the other. But for me, I, I get taken down in every single match back in, in high school, usually at least once. And I always end up getting a reversal. So it was kind of fun to have like that back and forth wrestling um, rivalry and uh, kind of brings back old memories. But uh, like, like you said, he's a talented dude. You know, you don't get to the UFC by accident. And to win 10 fights in a row, you, you know, that doesn't happen by accident. And that one fight he lost was a split decision, which I'm hearing that most people thought he should have won. So technically, the guy should have probably been 18-0 going into that fight with, with me. And um, I think for me to get a win like that over a guy like that, I think that's it's huge, uh, you know. So I, and I'm keeping it in perspective and taking it it is you know taking it for what it is and uh he's a tough dude he's got a strong mindset you know he really does believe in himself so i know he'll be he'll bounce back for sure you did what you needed to do in that fight and you did what you needed to do after the fight you called dominic cruz and, and times are very interesting right now in that division with tj being the champion from you know all sorts of reports and everything i'm hearing it looks like a fight between dillashaw and cejudo is a strong possibility right now and i don't agree with it since there are a lot of contenders at 135 right now but what do you think of all the cejudo dillashaw chatter like do you understand where tj is coming from wanting to drop to 25 and try to win a second belt where do you sit on this thing I I think I think this is becoming extremely annoying to have these guys all wanting to bounce around divisions and tie up the divisions. It's I I don't get it. I this guy barely beat Mighty Mouse, and I don't even think he beat Mighty Mouse. And I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from the guy, but it's a split decision win against the goat. You should have to run that back. That should be an automatic fight to be made. But instead, they're going to tie up two divisions. And I understand 125 doesn't have a whole lot of motion going on. It's stagnant. Um, Mighty Mouse has it on, had it on lock for God knows how long. But to tie up two divisions now makes no sense. You have real serious contenders. And I guess it doesn't help that you got Marlon and you got a Sun Sal who aren't really – big talkers, so it's hard to sell a fight with those guys with TJ. And TJ's not a big talker himself. So you got Sayudo, who probably will do some talking, and he's a Olympic, um, a former Olympic champion. So I, I get that aspect of it, but at the same time, it's, like I said, it's super annoying because we got these guys, such as myself, Marlon, Sun Sao, all putting in our time, putting in the hours, and we win and we don't get rewarded. We're, we're kind of just sitting here left to just fight each other for no title. I, you, know, you know what I mean? You're going to have all the number one contenders keep fighting each other, even though they've done enough to fight for the world title. Now there's no one to fight. So what do you do? Not make money? Do you just sit on the sidelines? Do you fight somebody else to stay busy and try to make money? And do you risk that in terms of your chance to fight for the belt? It's, it's, it's really not fair, man. You only have so so such a small window of opportunity to capitalize on things. For me, it almost makes me not want to fight for the rest of this year just to let the division play out. You know what I mean? So it's like, why am I going to go out here and go fight another top contender when I could just sit back, relax, let this landscape play out, see if any potential injuries happen, and maybe I can jump into a scene because opportunity presented itself. It's, it's such a crazy thing. I'd rather just have us all fighting, keep the division moving, keep the fans entertained, and everyone makes money, everyone is happy. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, like if DJ had won that fight, and I actually scored it for DJ myself, but it was super-duper close, and I'm not going to argue with you either way here. 
But, you know, if DJ did win that fight and he kind of just ran out of challengers and then TJ had the performance he had against Cody and he dropped down and fight, yeah, that makes a little more sense than a guy who just won the flyway title in a razor-close split decision. But, you know, things are just really interesting right now in the UFC. And kind of talking about what could possibly be next for you. I mean, obviously, the, the fight wasn't, how shall I say, aesthetically pleasing, but your good friend Jimmy Rivera did get a win on Saturday. And obviously... If the UFC comes calling with Cruz and you laid out pretty well on Ariel's show why you called for Dominic Cruz, but if they come calling with him, that's a fight you jump on, absolutely. But there is some un- unfinished business between you and Rivera. Rivalry that goes back to the regional level. There's also guys like Cody Garbrand, and there's certainly some history between the two of you guys as well. Do any of those get you fired up in any way, or is there someone else outside of Cruz or the title that, that really gets you going more than those two guys? Uh, you know, I'm not really... Not really opposed to fighting any of those guys i would fight any one of them to be honest this i think i match up well with everybody i think when i'm on and i'm i'm letting go of my entire game i think i'm a nightmare for anybody because they know once the fight hits the ground no one's putting in hours on the ground as as much as i am so i i, I think i just have the extreme advantage in that department over all those guys uh jimmy rivera i was i called him out and I was excited about the fight before he actually fought. <laughs> Once he fought, <laughs> I was kind of like, yeah, uh, no, that's a no for me, dog. But um, I, I don't know. This, I'm, I haven't really thought that far ahead, but Lineker, Garbrandt, Rivera, a rematch with a Sun Sao, a rematch with Marlon, I would do any of those fights. I would I would do any of those fights, especially Cruz. Uh, I'm looking for the big fights. I'm looking to solidify my name in the history books, um, and I can't do that by just keep fighting up and comers. So I think uh, I think the UFC finally realized. I think the fans finally realized that I'm a, I'm a serious threat in this division. I got to really I, I I'm I'm at a different level from these other guys. And I think um, the Rivera's fight with Dotson. I don't know. I think that fight. I think it really is going to. Sh- I think they really show like the difference in our skill set in terms of what we both bring to the table. So it is a fight I would like to eventually squash the battle of the East Coast and uh, go from there. But um, yeah, I'm down to fight any one of those guys. Let's let's do it. Heading into that fight with Brian Caraway a couple of years back, you were probably winning that oh, fight. Yeah. And oh, that oh, go ahead. And, yeah, you and Caraway again. <laughs> <laughs> that guy too. I think I, I think that's kind of a step back right now for you, for being honest. No, no disrespect. I'm just going by <laughs> you know momentum and things that are going on right now. But heading into that fight with Caraway, you were probably a win away from from probably fighting for the belt. And you know, so in hindsight, kind oh. of experiencing the the ups and the downs, and now the the ups again. Would you do anything differently? Are you happy that you were kind of able to experience all of that and grow into the fighter you're becoming now? Yeah, for sure. Um... I think that's really helped me grow. I think everything happens for a reason, man. And I and I hate saying that cliche thing, but when I think about it, in terms of my skill set, I was predominantly a grappler. You know, back then I was just doing the whole circling thing. I wasn't really engaging with guys. I was a little more hesitant to engage with guys because I wasn't sure if I had a chin. I mean, I took big shots in training from time to time. But I would be more willing to to sit in the pocket and trade with sixteen ounce gloves. Four-ounce gloves, I wasn't really ready to find out about that. And I knew once I got anybody on the ground, I could have my way with them. But now I, I think I got the entire arsenal uh, figured out in terms of my skill set and knowing what I bring to the table and knowing what I do best. 
And that's been the good part about my entire game. I know how to fight to my strengths and my advantages. And um, it makes it very difficult for my opponents. But, yeah, everything happens for a reason. You know, that, that fight with Caraway, I think I needed more time in learning how to how to strike a little more and learning to know. I, I think if I had not worked out three times that day, I win that fight. I fight for the world title. I finish him in the first round. Like I like I almost did with the rear naked choke. I probably would have finished it. I would have probably had a little bit more pop, if not the first, the second. And then I go on to fight for the title and I get schooled and outclassed in terms of the striking. So in hindsight, I look at it, you know, it was, it's kind of a win-win. I, did I lose? Yeah, I lost. You know, I lost the hype and everything. But at the end of the day, this is a it's a marathon. It's not a it's not a sprint. True or false? Aljamain Sterling will fight for the UFC Bantamweight title in 2019. I want to say true, but when you have Sayudo in the picture <laughs> fighting TJ, it kind of throws a monkey wrench into that. <laughs> you know what I mean? it, it, that could happen if he fights a contender. It could happen because there will be some opportunities because now you got guys, you got the division moving forward. But now you're gonna we're gonna have a logjam. But it could still happen. Maybe I do fight two times instead. And state and state my case. So it really just depends on uh, the landscape. But I'm going to go with true. I'm going to go with true. Let's let's uh, speak this into existence. Hey, listen. In this day and age, if they do book that fight and TJ drops to 125, what's to say the UFC doesn't say interim title? I mean, that's something that they are very synonymous in doing in these types of situations. And who's to say Aljamain Sterling can't be that guy that gets slotted in for that shot? You versus Cruz for the interim title? How about that? That would be sick. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff, Aljo. And I have to commend you on the stuff you did with MMA Junkie. I really enjoyed the videos and all the behind the scenes look of everything in your camp and the and the build up to the fight. And I did hear you say that you may be doing a little bit of a breakdown of the submissions you know comparing yours to Zabit's on your youtube channel when can we expect that to drop i'm trying to get that shot today i'm actually gonna go uh, shoot it with one of our bjj black belts um jason rao he's a freaking savage he was on a what was it karai's kai that kai that kai thing that just happened the other day but um he had a he had a pretty good show in there you know but um we're going to do that today, and then hopefully we can get it up today also. That would be ideal. Um, I saw a couple of guys doing it on Instagram and stuff. I'm, I'm looking at them just shaking my head, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, don't you – don't cheat the fans. I'm going to do a real one, and I'll give the insights, and I'll have Jason actually explain some of the mechanics behind it because he'll probably explain it better than I can in terms of uh, – What's actually being manipulated and destroyed? Me, I'm just. I just know this hurts. It's gonna make you go ouchy, and uh, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing that. Where, and what, what, where, where can we find your YouTube page, by the way, for those who don't know? Uh, Funkmaster MMA on the YouTuber, or you could just go straight to my Instagram. I have the link in my bio, and uh, that's easy too. Or my website, aljamainsterone.com. There you go. There's so many different ways. It's so all- many different ways. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a multimedia personality. How about that? Aljamain Sterling, thank you again for the time. Congratulations on the victory. A-plus grade for you with the entire week, the build-up, the post-fight stuff, everything. All the best to you, and I hope you get that fight with Cruz because I think that would be a really interesting one. Thanks again for the time, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is. Aljamain Sterling, great stuff from him as always. Coming up, that big win over Cody Stamen at UFC 228 on Saturday.
All right, let's move ahead to our next guest. It's been a minute since I've chatted with this man, the reigning Bellator lightweight champion. Let us chat with Brent Premis. Brent, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for joining the show once again. First thing I want to ask you about is is how you're feeling these days. How's everything going as you're preparing to get back in the cage and defend your title? I'm feeling good, man. Uh, I've been ready, been waiting, and uh, I think things are finally, you know, getting the balls rolling now. So, um, yeah, man, just starting my fight camp here soon, and uh, excited to get this thing going on finally. You're 100% or in the fight game as close to 100% as you can be, and you're ready to go whenever the opportunity presents itself? Yeah, man, I've been ready months and months ago. I, I, I told Bellator I'm ready, let's do this, and um, I've been hearing, you know, for oh, quite a while, just any time now, we'll let you know, let you know, and so um, I've been, you know, about three weeks ago, they told me a date, and they just said they're waiting on Chandler, and so I've been just kind of waiting on him, and I think everything's kind of finally going on now, so yeah, I'm excited. <clears throat> All right, so let's kind of get back to that because everything I've been hearing is sometime in December between you and Chandler. And I know you have done some interviews saying that you have been offered this fight, you're waiting on him. Is that still the case? Have we made any headway over the last few days? Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not supposed to say exactly, but um, there's definitely more headway for sure than than last week, definitely. So, um, you know, I, I got told probably almost a month ago, they gave me a date, they said, you know, we're just waiting for Chandler to confirm, and uh, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll send you the contract, and I've been waiting and waiting. And then I heard him on the MMA Hour with uh, Errol Hawani, you know, a couple weeks ago, saying that he hasn't heard about fighting me, and I'm in retirement and all this stuff. And I was like, what the hell? You know, at that time, I was literally waiting for the contract that day or the next day. So it was just kind of crazy. He just runs his mouth and just lies and just says whatever. So it's just, uh, I'm just finally, it's, it's hopefully getting done, and, uh, you know, hopefully... In the next day or two, we will be able to say what's up. So, I, yeah, it's funny you should say that because I was literally just just before you called in, I was reading an interview Chandler did with Damon Martin and MMA Weekly, and he's saying that you know, like you said, Bellator never offered him the fight. You're delusional. You're a paper champion. I mean, how do you respond to that stuff? Because it seems like you, and you kind of just touched on it. Any chance there's any momentum, it seems to get halted on the other side, like hours later. Yeah, man, I literally have no idea what's going on with Chandler in his in his head, dude. It's crazy, like. After our last fight, you know, I, I took a couple months off. I had, had a baby or whatever, and I told Bellator, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's get the rematch going on. And I literally waited like four or five months for Chandler to figure out what was going on or him to sign the contract. And the whole time he's talking crap. And um, the same time, you know, same thing this time. I keep on hearing him doing these interviews. And he's talking shit, saying I'm a pay-per-view champ. I'm, I'm not even a champ. I'm retired, all this stuff. And he's like, man, if you're going to talk talk shit at least sign the contract so we can you know fight and and deal with it in the cage but um yeah the guy's weird man i have no idea what's going on with his head like he said he doesn't want to fight me and I'm, I'm the champion it seems like if he thinks that last fight was a total fluke or whatever then he'd want to get out and put the stamp on it and, and, and everything so um beats me man but uh hopefully in the next day or two we'll, we'll say what's going on and and um yeah man i, I just, I'm, I'm really really excited that he signed back with bellator i was so scared and and I did not want him to go to the UFC. I really wanted to uh, you know, have my opportunity to fight that guy before he went anywhere else. So. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Like, you know, you're hearing all the different reports that he's not going to resign, that he's, that he's talking with the UFC, and then he goes on Ariel's show and says that he never had any discussions with the UFC. So as you were waiting, what was that like for you, kind of waiting to see where his, where the pieces were going to fall? Yeah, man, I was nervous because, man, there's all this controversy, all this crap. I just want to get all that past me, and I really want to – you know, getting there and fight Chandler and, and finish him like I know I could and I know I would have. And so uh, I really want to do that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited that I get the opportunity for sure. 
So you, you talk about headway being made. We should know in the next day or two. I mean, I know that Bellator had contacted you about this fight. Has there been a bout agreement or anything like that sent your way, or has it been more of a phone call? Hey, Brent, you want Michael Chandler on this date? Where are we at with that? Well, that that was about three week, three four weeks ago. They told me a, a date, and they said I'm fighting Chandler. They're just waiting for him to say yes or no. And so I've been waiting. That's why I've been waiting for weeks and weeks. And like, what the heck's taking so long? Seems like he just signed the contract or say yes. And and um, but uh, yeah, man, like. It's going to happen for sure. Uh, it's going to happen soon for sure. All right. So pen to paper. We just don't know the date yet as far as like what, where we're sitting right now, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I have a date, but I just, uh, they told me to keep it quiet and for a little while. But um, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And my fight camp's going to start like really, really soon. And nothing but uh, salad and vegetables <laughs> in the horizon. Can you, can you tell us whether the fight will happen before the year ends? Yes, it will. <laughs> All right. Why do you think this thing took so long? Like, I mean, obviously there's the stuff of free agency and everything, and you've said it in multiple interviews for a long time. You've been on my old show talking about it, that this is the fight you want. You wanted Michael Chandler. You wanted the rematch before anything else. He's been saying you're afraid and things like that. Why do you think this hasn't happened yet until, you know, later on this year? It's literally all on Chandler. I'm telling you guys, like, uh, it's the Chandler show. Bellator is pretty much doing whatever he wants. Like, he gets the... You know, I, I, he got to pick me when he fought me in uh, New York. You know, I, I'm pretty sure they gave him the choice. He, he got to pick me because I was undefeated, and he thought that he'd just go out there and smash me in Madison Square Garden, and, um, you know, that didn't happen. And it's pretty much whatever he wants, you know. So I've been just sitting back and waiting for him, and they've been telling me, you know, we're waiting on him, we're, we're waiting on Chandler. And, and, man, I've been hearing that so long. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I get it. I know he's been the face of Bellator for a long time, and he's had some awesome fights in there and all that stuff, but... Um, it just sucks because I've been on the hold waiting for Chandler to, I don't know, to, to fight me or sign the contract or whatever for so long, you know. And uh, I know I did get injured, and that really, really sucks. And that, that was a really, it really sucked for me and my family and everything, you know, and the whole division. But uh, I've been waiting, you know, months and months and months for this guy to get this rematch going on. And it finally is. So I'm really excited and uh like I said, man, we should have a date here soon, and I'm going to start training and dieting here quick. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but how important is it for you and how important is it for the lightweight division in its entirety for this fight with Chandler to happen and really for you to move forward to try to put that part of your career behind you with a win here? Yeah, you know, I want to I want to beat Chandler, and I want to finish him, and I want to do it like I know I can, and like, like I said before, like I know I, I was going to, and and uh, once I get Chandler past me, then, you know, I, I, I think uh, Pitbull's next. And uh, what's his name? Sada Watt has been whooping some butt lately. And so, you know, there's some guys that are definitely knocking on the door. And, and I've definitely been watching them. And, and it, this whole thing sucks for all those guys in the division, you know, waiting on me and Chandler fighting. And it sucks. But uh, like I said, man, it's, it's finally getting sorted out. And, you know, hopefully... Uh, I'll get Chandler past, you know, get him out of the way, and then hopefully I'm wanting to fight Pitbull because we were supposed to fight a while ago, and I know he's beating Josh Thompson and um, Benson Henderson and some guys, so he's on a roll too. So I think that uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him in his next fight, and I, I want to fight that guy for sure. It's, I was talking to Aljamain Sterling just before you came on, and we were talking about, like, 
you know, he was one step closer to winning, a t- to, to getting to a title shot, and then he lost to Brian Caraway, and he kind of had his ups and downs, and now he's in a position where he's really turned the corner here, and he's he's re- right where he needs to be. And obviously, you winning the title puts you at a, at a high, but there's been kind of some downs, and now you're working your way back up. In a way, is it kind of a blessing that this all happened, that you learned so much from it? You kind of see the game and how the fans react to everything. Plus, you kind of let the lightweight division kind of work itself out a little bit. It's probably as exciting and as loaded as it's ever been since you're absence i wouldn't say happy you know because uh i definitely would have loved to have at least one or two fights you know now and knowing that would have been good for my family and, and my bank accounts and everything so um but i mean yes and no i think it's bitter bittersweet uh um yeah man I, it's a uh, it's a bittersweet you know so I, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing um but uh, i'm just excited to get in there and finally fight man it, it sucks waiting so long to fight and freaking it's been over like 13 months or more and it it seems like forever you know so um luckily i've been training and, and keeping busy and training for good guys and so i've never really believed in a ring rust too much so um man i'm excited and it, it just sucks waiting for so long for sure so yeah how, how has fatherhood been treating you these days has anything really changed for you in terms of the way you approach fighting and really anything at this point i mean the last time i talked to you you had just become a father and now we're a, a little over a year later how have things changed for you um man it's changed in a lot of ways really uh my little guy, he's like, he just turned over. He's like uh, 13 months old now, and he's just the highlight of my life. He's the coolest little dude. He's so happy, and he's running around everywhere, getting into everything, and uh, he's starting to get a little attitude, starting to throw and <laughs> fight and, and everything. But uh, he's awesome, man. It definitely is a little harder to get my workouts done and get my training. I have to, like, schedule things a little bit better and babysitting and all that stuff. But uh, it is definitely awesome, you know, and, that's another thing, you know, I'm going to have to go to California. I do a lot of my fight camp at Timo Yama in Irvine, California, and I'm going to have to go over there and start training soon. And I'm definitely not looking forward to leaving uh, my little boy and, and my wife. It's going gonna, it's gonna to suck for sure, but I know once I'm there, it's going to – every day I'm going to have to train harder, and it's going to make me push every training session and everything. So um, it's going to be uh, good and bad for sure. Imagine doing that like 10 years ago. Then you wouldn't have like FaceTime or anything like that. You wouldn't have Skype and things like that. Now you, now you have all this technology. Yeah. It makes things a little bit easier, right? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what are you looking forward to the most as a dad? I mean, obviously he's 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 one. He's starting to run around a little bit, so it's it's starting to change a little bit. I mean, I have a five year old now, so now it's kind of like having a little person around. You can converse with them and do different things with them. What are you looking forward to the most? Man, like seriously, I enjoy everything with my little guy. I never had a father when I was growing up, and so I just want to try to be the best father for him and. And honestly, like, uh, I just want to go camping with him, catch snakes and lizards, and <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to get him in the gym and and put a gi on him and uh, just like everything, man. I literally love everything about the little guy. Like, uh, even when he's a little grumpy turd, he's so <laughs> funny, you know. Uh, I literally enjoy everything about him. He's he's awesome, but uh, definitely, man. I can't wait to take him fishing and just doing outdoors things with the little guy and go camping and. Uh, yeah, man, it's going to be cool for sure. Every day gets a little bit better and better. He's gets more aware. Like you said, he's going to be like a little person, you know, so it's it's pretty cool. Has he started to mimic you yet? Like, because I know you do like a million push-ups a day. Has he started to like get down in the, the front lead rest position yet and, and attempt to do push-ups <laughs> with you yet? What's crazy is like I do 250 pull-ups every morning, and so I have a pull-up bar, and, and he watches me do pull-ups all the time. And so this was like months and months ago when he was probably like seven months old, he would start crawling underneath the pull-up bar and lift up his hands and, and go, ah, 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 and ah, please. And so I'd, I'd lift him up and put him on the pull-up bar, and he will do, uh, just hang there. And so, like, I think he's, like, seven. I have it on video. I was going to post it, actually, but on Instagram here soon. But uh, he's, like, seven months old, hanging for, like, 30, 35 seconds. You know, it's, uh, 
it's pretty cool. So yeah, he's definitely mimicked me and and uh, doing everything. And I, I just started to get him in the gym. He's he's watching me hold uh, hit mitts and tie pads and watching me spar a little bit. And he just watches in awe. So it's it's definitely cool, man. And he's gonna be a little ninja. That's amazing stuff. And. What else is amazing is it looks like all signs are pointing to the rematch finally happening. Brett Primus versus Michael Chandler. We should know more in the future, and we appreciate you coming on and, and joining us once again. But I am of the belief, Brent, that anybody could be listening at any time, and it seems to me like Michael Chandler reads and listens to any to absolutely everything because he comes out and responds not too long afterwards. So what do you want to say to Michael Chandler right now? Um, honestly, man, I have nothing to say to that guy. I uh, I always try to respect all my opponents, and, and I always have. But he just doesn't uh, know the meaning of respect and just keeps on talking crap and lying and, and all this stuff. So I have literally no respect for that guy, and I'm not going to show him respect for this fight. So, um, yeah, screw you, bitch. That's all I got to say to him. I, uh, I'm not going to show that dude any respect or have anything to say nice to that guy at all. All right, man. Well, before you get out of here, let everyone know where to find and follow you on social media. Can't wait to see that Instagram video of him doing uh, 35 seconds on the on the pull-up bar, holding himself up there. That's absolutely amazing. Let everyone know where to find and follow you so we can check that out. Yeah, follow me at Brent Primus 155 and uh, stay tuned for uh, the announcement of me and Chandler finally getting our rematch. All right, Brent. Thank you again for the time. We appreciate it very much. All right. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. There he is, Brent Primus, everybody. It looks like it's happening. Primus Chandler before the year is over. How about that? All right, let's get to our final guest of the day, a guy I also talked a lot to on my old show and happy to have him on this brand new show. Your boy is here a few weeks removed from his big knockout win over Tim Williams. Eric Anders, how are you, man? Man, I can't complain, man. Doing awesome. How about yourself? Living the dream, my man. So you are in Vegas right now checking out the UFC PI. How's things going over there? Man, everything's going great. Just, uh, you know, putting science behind the athlete and, uh, you know, doing like uh you know power stuff cardio stuff see where i you know what 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 facets of my game i need to prove on physically outside of just the you know the boxing kickboxing outside of the skill set stuff how can i you know better my performance inside the octagon there can't complain with science i mean henry cejudo used science to beat demetrius johnson so it's a good thing right there Big win in Lincoln, man. One of the best knockouts of the year, in my opinion. You really put a stamp on that fight. The ending was phenomenal, but overall, how did you feel about your performance? Um, man, if I was going to grade it, you know, I would give it uh, a C, a C minus. Uh, just because I know I'm capable of so much more, I really didn't show a whole lot of uh, progression in my game in that fight, I think. Uh, and I definitely got hit more in that fight than I have probably in, you know, the 10 previous, the 11 previous fights before that. So, you know, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, went out there, got the job done, got the finish, got the knockout, collected a bonus. So, you know, it wasn't all bad, but definitely could have done better. You know, Tim's obviously a pretty tough guy, a Jersey guy, definitely a lot of improvements from his first fight in the UFC. Did, did anything he do that he did in that fight? Did, did anything surprise you at all? Uh, not really, man. I thought he would be more, uh, I thought he would wrestle more. I thought he'd want to, you know, put me on my back a little bit more than he did. You know, he had a little bit of success with that in the first round, and I thought, you know, maybe he would go back to that. Um, and he tried in the third, but I stuffed a few of his takedowns. So, you know, um, his hands were pretty crisp or, or, you know, a lot better. He was a lot more willing to stand and trade uh, than I thought he would be. But, you know, you know that guy, he trains too. So, you know, uh, you know, it is what it is. Was it kind of a familiar feeling 
being in that area, I mean, Lincoln is obviously a big college area, big into their college football. I'm not sure how much time you spent in Lincoln during your playing days, but did it bring back some kind of old memories at all being in a town like that? Uh, I mean, not really. Just, um, you know, I went and toured the, you know, the University of Nebraska's facilities and stuff, awesome facilities, you know, just to, to get out and, and move around and, and, you know, not be stuck in the hotel the whole time. But, you know, uh, you know, I really don't do the whole living vicariously through, you know, <laughs> you know, other people kind of thing. You know, it was a really nice win for you, but but the main reason I wanted to have you on was to clarify some stuff from your perspective because after the win, you call it Elias Theodoro. In hindsight, he had a fight book, so you kind of realized it wasn't the best call at the time, and it seemed pretty respectful between the two of you guys. And then his fight with Antonio Carlos Jr. in Brazil fell through, and once we found out it was rescheduled, he essentially called you out for not taking the fight. So let's start with this. What happened? Were you ever approached with this fight? Did you and your team approach the UFC? What happened here? Man, that fight was never offered to me. Um, and, you know, my passport is good. My visa is good. I can have a Brazilian visa. So, <laughs> for me to fight down there, that's no problem at all. Uh, the only issue was, you know, I was suspended for 30 days after the fight. I think that fight was like 28, 27 days or something like that after the fight. Oh, it's all good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Eric. Eric yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so that, that fight was never offered to me. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to fight anyways because uh, I was suspended. So, man, he, he knows what's up. Man. He knows he, he know about that life. So, you know, uh, he's got a fight coming up. So, then take care of business. But, you know, I, I would imagine that in the near future. Yeah, he, he actually spoke to our own Nicole Bosco, and he said, basically, from what I heard, yes, they wanted a Brazilian, but Eric hinted towards he wouldn't be able to make weight. He had the opportunity to fight me, and it looks like he didn't answer the call. After the fact, he says it's not the case, but I was looking to fight him. So it had nothing to do with the weight. It was just the suspension more than anything. Yeah, so, so no truth that. to that whatsoever. That's a lie. He said, he said he had the opportunity to fight me, and it looks like he didn't answer the call. So, I mean, w- with all this, how do you even respond to this at this point? I mean, that, that's a blatant lie. You know, I was never approached with the fight. Couldn't have fought anyways. Could have made weight. Would have made weight. Uh, so, you know, it was more on the UFC, not, not, you know, not even being able to offer the fight. But me declining a fight with him never happened, never going to happen. Uh, so I'm not really quite sure what he's talking about. Yeah, well, one of the things I've learned about you is that you're not a guy that, you know, you don't hold personal grudges. You don't call guys out just because you want to, like, beat them up. You want to just progress, you know? And I feel like the Elias call was more because he's a ranked guy, he's he's above you, and you just want to climb the ranks. Is that accurate? Correct. Yeah, that's 100%. So there's nothing personal for that call out between you and Elias. It was just you wanted to get in there to really improve your stat- your stance and your status in the middleweight division. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even know the guy. So, you know, I I think it's kind of hard to, you know, have a grudge or, you know, hate somebody that you ain't there even met or nothing like that. So there's no grudge, no, no, no chip on my shoulder about Theodoro. He's just kind of in the path uh, of me getting where I want to go. Is there more of a grudge in your opinion now that, you know, he's kind of saying the things he's saying, he's kind of putting you on blast a little bit. I mean, he can say what he want to say. I don't care, man. You know, uh, but he knows the deal. I know the deal. The UFC knows the deal. So he can try to fool, fool, but the, the people who need to know, know.
So as far as where you go, I mean, obviously he's booked up. He's going to be fighting later on this year. You know, your suspension's going to be up pretty soon. So when are you looking to get back in there? Do you have anybody in mind now that Elias has kind of is kind of taken up, or do you want to wait till after that fight and kind of see where things play out? I, I definitely want to get in there before the end of the year. Um, haven't really done, uh, you know, much looking to see who's available, who's fought, who's, you know, who's recently fought, and all that other good stuff. So. Um, probably when I get home from here, I'll sit down and look and see who's looking for a fight and who wants to fight and see if I can't find one that makes sense for me. And how long are you going to be in Vegas for? I leave out tomorrow, man. I've been here all week. Oh, cool. What are some of the things? I mean, obviously you're, you're working with science, trying to improve and find different things just outside of the punches and the kicks, but what are some of the things, what's probably the, the biggest thing you've learned about yourself since being at the UFC PI and some of the different things you can take home with you? Oh, man. Man, a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, my uh, my cardio is good. They're they're gonna show me where I where I match up in the uh, you know the light the the middleweight division uh, in terms of size, speed, strength. You know, they got the whole matrix and stuff that they do. So, man, it's just looking forward to seeing what uh what numbers they come back with, and you know, there's a bunch of stuff to learn here. Well, that's great to hear. Well, I know you're in Vegas right now. You just finished up. You're, head, you're back at your hotel right now, so I'm going to let you relax. But I wanted to get you on here to kind of clear things up from, from your perspective with some of the things Elias was saying and really kind of get your side of the story. So thank you very much, man. I appreciate you checking us out from Vegas, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. Quick chat with your boy, Eric Anders. Obviously a lot going on right now. He's in Vegas checking out the UFC PI. Flies back tomorrow, and we look forward to seeing what is next for him, you know, we heard what Elias Theodore had to say. He spoke to our own Nicole Bosco. That's at fansided.com. You can check out that interview and kind of see what Elias's perspective was. And, and I mean, obviously, there's two sides to every story, and neither of us really know what happened there. Uh, but from Eric's perspective, he wouldn't have been able to take the fight anyways and had nothing to do with weight or you know cutting weight in that amount of time or anything like that. And, I mean, Eric's taken short-notice fights in the past. I believe his UFC debut is on pretty short notice, so... So there you have it. Eric Anders joining us on the newly relaunched Extra Rounds podcast. And that'll do it on this episode of the show. I want to thank all of our great guests for coming on. Your boy, Eric Anders, Aljamain Sterling, Bellator lightweight champion Brent Primus. Looks like that fight with Michael Chandler is all but announced at this point. The rematch. And Matthew Wells. Make sure you check out the Slip and Dip podcast. Doing some great work for Fanside. He was boots on the ground in Dallas for UFC 228. Big thank you to you guys for downloading and subscribing. Leave it a five-star rating. Big thank you to our sponsor, Test Strips with the Z.com. Managing diabetes is your business. Making it affordable is theirs. Turn your extra unused diabetes supplies into cash all up to $50 per box. Go to Test Strips with the Z.com. We'll talk to Jimmy Rivera next week. And I know Aljamain Sterling had some things to say about that fight and him in general. And we'll let you know what else is going to be happening next week. We'll see you. Thank you for having us on.